Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Thursday, March the 30th. And this week we are all at sea. We're going to be talking about a fascinating insight into the history of the founder of the Lancet, Thomas Wackley. I'm delighted to be talking to Carolyn Paul. You're a consultant obstetrician, aren't you, at the Whittington Hospital in North London, and you've just come off a shift, so I hope you're not too tired to speak to us. Thank you for giving us your time. That's a pleasure. You're the author of this letter. It's a little bit of a new insight, really, into Thomas Wackley. You're a busy clinician. As I said, you're a consultant obstetrician, but what's your connection with Thomas Wackley? Well, when I was studying for an MSc in history of science, medicine and technology, and his name just came up everywhere about virtually everything I was researching. In terms of the letter that we're publishing from you this week in the April the 1st issue of The Lancet, I should stress it's not an April Fool, this is a a bona fide letter. This is about Wackley, about a a voyage he took in 1807 as an 11-year-old boy with the East India Company, which is a very powerful trading arm of the British Empire. He was an 11-year-old boy going on an 18-month voyage to Calcutta and back. How on earth did this come about? We worry about sending our kids to school on the bus. And then here was this 11-year-old boy sent off by his family to spend 18 months at sea, travelling to Calcutta on this ship. I mean, the theory is probably in looking and reading his other biographies that it was a time where shortly after the Battle of Trafalgar in 1805, the thought of a career in the Navy was very glamorous. Also, his father had a friend who was the captain of an East India Company ship. And actually, captains of these ships could make really a huge fortune because they were allowed to take their own trade, their own goods to trade when they went away. And so actually, they, a lot of these captains and senior officers in the East India Company became very rich. And he grew up on this farm with, he had seven brothers and three sisters, and he was the youngest son, so the youngest of eight boys. It was probably, I also have this idea that he just wanted to probably get away from his siblings, really, and have a bit of his own space. And even though that meant on this ship, I think it was probably a combination of all those factors, really, that him to see. We should say that we have known hitherto that he undertook this voyage, but the light that you're shedding is that you've actually dug into the archives at the British Library, looking at the records of the East India Company, and you actually have been able to pinpoint the ship and therefore the exact date and time of, of when he undertook this voyage, because it's not well documented, is it? Well, it's not. I mean, people just mention that he went to sea, and that's it. And nobody seems to have really looked into it much further than that. And so so when I realised that all of the archives were there, I decided to go and see if I could find out more about it. The archivists in the British Library are really helpful and they showed me how to look through the ships. So basically they have all a list of the ships. So I kind of narrowed down the time scale it must have been because we did know some things that he was apprenticed off to an apothecary when he was about 15. So it had to be before that. And people have mentioned that he was 10 or 11. So I basically narrowed down the years it was, then went through the ships that had sailed to Calcutta because we knew he went to Calcutta at that time. And then actually found one where it said something about the captain of the ship having died. Or it was because it changed the captain of the ship. 
halfway through. So then I got the logbook of that ship and then went through the pay records and the crew members and his name was there. So I thought it had to be him, really. Fantastic. Well, we won't give all the detail away because we want people listening to the podcast to, to, to read your letter that we're publishing. But just give us a, a little bit of the flavour of what Wackley would have witnessed as an 11-year, 11, 12-year-old 11, boy. I mean, it was an 18-month undertaking, goodness me. Some pretty horrendous, ghastly things happened. Just give us some examples of what he would have witnessed because obviously the tempting thing to then speculate, and of course we have to speculate, is that, th- that this would have made a great impression on him in terms of what happened later with Wackley's life. The ship was all loaded up in the London docks, I suppose, and then travelled from there to Portsmouth. But even in that short few days, somebody fell over the side of the ship and drowned. There was somebody flogged for theft even before they'd set off on the proper journey. So there was, I think, all kinds of drama right from the outset. As a midshipman, he would have witnessed all of these things. So, like, there were, I mean, several episodes of floggings where... People on the way to Calcutta, some of the um, crew members had broken into a flask of wine and um, and then were locked up in irons because of that and flogged. So there were about six or so floggings just on the way to Calcutta, all for theft and all involving like a dozen lashes or something. But the reason I found that particularly interesting is because one of the most famous cases when he was a coroner was the case of Frederick White, who was involved in a flogging at Hounslow Barracks and died as a result of his injuries. But it took quite a lot of effort to get the authorities to acknowledge that it was the flogging that had caused his death. And I think that having had a personal experience of seeing this, even with a dozen lashes, and in Frederick White's case, it was 150 or something, that actually his personal experience of it made him understand the real horror of this punishment. That's why he, it was one of the things he insisted on, making a public um, outrage, really. And then things like the I mean, people falling over the side of a ship and drowning. And there was another case, actually, on the way back, where one of, they were bringing naval invalids back from the base at St. Helena. And one of, they used to have, because they were worried about piracy, they used to have practicing the guns so um, having drills with the guns and during one of these just routine drills one of the guns blew up and killed one of the naval invalids and again when he was the coroner he was very keen on things like um, industrial accidents but you know the pauper who fell into a vat in one of the workhouses and things so I think that again I feel like it was something that probably drew his attention to issues like that that um that people just brushed aside as uh, you know one of those things but he was trying to bring them to people's attention that actually some of these things maybe could have been avoided or handled better and then of course i mean the the most i think um striking thing was the the captain's death who was this was the guy who was his supporter i was about to say we yes yes we should explain of course the the, the reason that the wackley got on this trip at all was that that was that the captain of the ship was a friend of his father's apparently on the way back he was taken ill and subsequently died but what actually i hadn't realized until i went through these records is that the ship's surgeon had actually um, deserted the ship before they left on the way 
home. On the return voyage, he, he did a runner at Madras. Yes, yeah, so, because they were getting provisions, so people were bringing the provisions and things back to the ship for the return journey. So there were all these ships coming, but the ship was still away from the shore uh, on the day when the uh, ship surgeon deserted the ship. So you kind of imagine him just sneaking off on one of the ships that had just, or one of the boats that had delivered something to the ship. So there wasn't a, a ship surgeon for the uh, for the return uh, return journey. And it was a few weeks after that that the captain died. We don't really know what he died of, but it's kind of tempting to think that it was, you know, they didn't have any medical support there. After that happened, there were no more floggings of seamen on the boat, which implied that, well, not implied, I think it's well known, that, that, that ship surgeons had to sanction the corporal punishment. And so without the surgeon being there, no corporal punishment was meted out, which sort of suggests how um, medical practitioners were absolutely central to, to, to the awful practice of flogging. I mean, of course, it's possible that it just wasn't recorded, but it's interesting that every single one up to they arrived in Calcutta was, and then there was nothing documented after that. I think you're right, it's probably the fact that they didn't actually do any because they didn't have the medical support there for it which is kind of horrifying really I think. It's a fascinating glimpse into life just over 200 years ago and obviously of a very little known part of Thomas Wackley's early life as said around the ages of 11 and 12 and of course the rest of his life we know a lot better. Fascinating to have that insight thank you for your research. Carolyn Paul many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet. Thank you very much.